0: Welcome to Season 1 of the Our Daily Rest Podcast, where each week I bring you useful and thoughtful ways to cultivate a life of restfulness, wellness, and balance. This episode is brought to you by the Red Oak Collective Shop, a collection of unique lifestyle goods my wife and I designed to bring encouragement to your soul. You can learn more at theredoakcollective.com or head over to ourdailyrest.net slash podcast. You'll find a discount for your first order from the Collective just for being a listener to the show. My name is Matt Hefner. More than a decade ago, a diagnosis with a chronic disease began my journey to jump out of the fast lane, slow down, and live more fully each day. And Now I'd like to take you along on that journey. I'm glad you're here with us today. Let's get started. Welcome to Episode 9 of Season 1 of the Our Daily Rest Podcast. I'm so grateful that you decided to join me today. As I dive into a conversation I had with Dr. Robert Woodcock, uh, there's so much wisdom, so much to share uh, around the idea of living a reflective life, practices of reflection in the midst of a busy, busy world. Uh, before we do, I want to share this episode is brought to you by Audible. If you're not familiar, Audible is an Amazon company uh, audiobook subscription service. And uh, for listeners to the show, you can get a free audiobook download, 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash ODR. So the service is only 15, months, $15 per month after those 30 days. Uh, but you can cancel any time keeping access to your purchases. So they have over 180,000 titles. Pretty much anything that is a book that is widely available on uh, Amazon out in the world. It's probably an, got an audiobook on Audible. And uh, if you're like me and really like to listen to, to books, listen to podcasts, Audible is the place to do that. So you own the content forever, and uh, it's just a great, uh, really cost-effective service to, to listen to books. So if you want to check out that trial, it's audibletrial.com slash ODR. Uh, that's the fr- fr- free 30-day trial and your f- first book th- free. Okay. Well, we're going to talk with Dr. Robert Woodcock. Before we do, just uh, sharing a little bit about what we're going to talk about. Uh, We dive into several different things. His role uh, as a spiritual guide, a spiritual director, uh, a coach. Uh, He does a lot of different things. You can find out more about him at integrativeguidance.com. He's uh, got some, some really neat uh, services that he offers there. And so today he shares a little bit about uh, the spiritual journey and living a reflective life. Uh, so we really dive in. We dive into why regular practice, silence, and solitude is important to a healthy soul. Share some neat sor- stories around that. But also, uh, for most of us, we kind of recoil, we struggle with the idea of solitude for any length of time and uh, he talks a little bit about what that reveals about us and why that is so difficult uh, for most of us to do. Uh, We dive a little bit into the role of a spiritual director uh, or spiritual companion in your journey of uh, building a reflective lifestyle and uh, the qualities of someone to look for and where to find someone give some practical advice there. Uh, He's been doing this and coaching others in this for a number of years now. And so we talk about the fruit of the practices in his own life and the others that he's seen, um, the long-term effect of that. So it finally shares a simple practice. You can start doing just a few minutes a day, just to, to begin. You don't have to go out in the woods for three days and fast and Uh, really uh, go all out is something that really can begin to cultivate that. And uh, so he talks a little bit about that as well. It's just a really great conversation. It's about an hour, so a little longer than we typically do, but something that I feel like just once we got into it, just such good content that I think you'll really, really enjoy it. So uh, let's dive into it. Dr. Woodcock, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, great to be with you, Matt.
0: Well, um, we are going to dive into several different areas, but first, if you would, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. Well, um, I'm a, I'm a person that did not really grow up in the in the Christian tradition uh, at, at all. I really came into it much, uh, not much later, but at the end of college, traveling around the world, um, and um, had a had a kind of an encounter with uh, with the gospel and with some people that were pretty genuine and pretty radical in their faith, living out on the, the beaches in Greece, uh, in Crete, and just uh, sort of reaching out to anyone that um, looked like they might need uh, need some, some spiritual help or guidance. And um, so uh, I was about 22 years old at the time. And uh, that just sort of changed the trajectory from a very kind of crazy and sort of radical uh kind of philosophy in life from the new england uh, you know university undergraduate studies and so forth mm. um and uh, just set me on a trajectory from about 22 23 years old into um just ever deepening and searching and uh trying to live out my faith in the most real ways uh you know through family and raising children and uh doing um pastoral church planting um uh humanitarian work uh, in Greece for 15 years, and then uh, planting and pastoring and and ministry here in the States. Um, All of that sort of led me, though, like many people, into a period of uh, brownout or burnout or something like that, and Mm -hmm. just really compelled me to dig a little deeper uh, and to um, seek guidance, spiritual guidance, in ways that 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 I hadn't before, through spiritual directors, through therapists, through contemplative prayers, lots of silence, lots of retreats. And uh, sort of my spiritual journey, really encountering and encompassing a healing journey, which uh, you know it's so obviously a part of Christ's ministry. He's doing so much healing. Yes, Um, yes. you know I think so many times he's he's going through the physical to reach down into the spiritual and the the inner depths of the person. But the physical is so important as a sort of a pathway and example. So,
0: um, yeah, good. That's good. Yeah, it sounds like so often you know we we don't plan for. A life um, you didn 't plan for a life of ministry didn 't plan for that um, to dive into that and just a random encounter it sounds like really tra- changed the course and uh, trajectory and just how god 's uh, sovereign purposes can really change our our lives in an instant yes yeah. So yeah, it
1: really it really did and it was primarily an encounter with you know evangelical Christianity, but then it, mm-hmm. it really it, it, it had to take a shift from my own sort of spiritual life and nurture to a much more contemplative Kind of Christianity, beginning to understand that, you know, at the Reformation we threw the baby out with the bathwater in some ways in terms of mm. bringing it to the the Christian mystics of the you know 13, 14, 15th centuries and uh, all that was good and wonderful about some of the early aspects of the the Christian tradition mm. from desert mothers and fathers and and things that um, really helped us to live counterculturally. Um, and a more set from a more centered and, and Christ like place in, in this crazy world.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's really what has uh, for our daily rest. You know, that's kind of what's given uh, birth to that because you can just see um, the the result of uh, living along with the culture. So often it uh, it takes you in places where uh, it's not healthy for your soul and it's not healthy for um, your your walk with God, and so. Um that's that's just neat to hear a little bit about your story. Well, today we're gonna talk a uh kind of a wide variety of what Dr. Woodcock does. Um we're gonna talk about a wide variety of, of things, but we're gonna really kind of dive into um just really cultivating an awareness of God. We had Dr. Terry Wardle on and talked about kind of living in that present moment and and kind of touched on a little bit of that. Um if you would just kind of tell us a little bit about um that for you, you you could mention a little bit kind of diving into uh, some of that content, contemplative prayer and and what what has that meant for you to be, to kind of live in that awareness of God more than just maybe church on Sunday morning? And uh, what does is, what is that look like for you?
1: Well, you know, one of the most radical things that it meant for me was, was being introduced to um, silence and solitude um, in a more in a more serious way as a, as a part of um, as a serious and very real part of your spiritual journey, not just a, 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 you know, once a year retreat or something like that, but even on a daily basis, Um, how do you find time to be reflective? Mm. How do you find time to not only do the kind of prayer that, that many people learn and the kind of reflection that many people learn discursive sort of active, you know, reflection in scripture, which is very important, um, but and very sort of um you know left brain. But then how do you how do you practice uh that that way of being in the world that allows you to be at peace, at to be centered, to be to be calm in the midst of the storm. Um and unless you experience that in your own soul and, and you're able to carve out that place of peace and calm and silence and really learn how to, to be at peace and, and, and in silence and in solitude and by yourself, you won't be able to do that. You'll be reaching for things as good as they are. You'll, you'll be reaching for scriptures. You'll be reaching for methods, prayer methods. You'll be reaching for people, pastors, leaders, whoever. You'll, you'll be reaching for things that, that are helpful but are not enough. Right, mm-hmm. and so more church, more services, more scripture. A lot of people get to the place where they realize that that's that's not really deepening their relationship with God. That's not really bring, That's not causing the kind of formation in the Christ likeness that that they hope for. And and often, as we were talking before we started, oftentimes um, we have some kind of uh, of crisis or dark place or dark night of the soul, a kind of experience. Hmm. Um, where we just can't find God through all the things we've been doing and practicing. And, um, and, and, and at that point, if we're attentive to the spirit, I believe the spirit will open doors and give us opportunities and bring people in situations into our life. If we're willing to take advantage of it and, and grab onto it, And sometimes that depends on how desperate we are. But if we are that the spirit will take us deeper, deeper into this Christian tradition than we've ever been and unfortunately for some people, that that takes them off into some other tradition, you know. And, and I shouldn't say unfortunately, but in some cases it is unfortunate because um, we don't realize that that much of what the world is, is seeking in New Age uh, kind, of, kind of meditations and practices and so forth, um, that that place of rest and calm and, and inner meditative sort of stance – in in the world uh, is available to us and is in our tradition. And we just have to dig a little bit for it. So for me, it it meant coming into contact with a spiritual director for the first time in my life. I didn't know what that was. Um, And then, you know, someone that's more than a therapist, more than a pastor in the sense that uh, they're there to companion you in your prayer and to help you find those places of, of contemplative, uh, Uh, reflection and silence and so forth and help design retreats for you and lead retreats and um, uh, so that that just took me into a place of going off for two or three days at a time of just complete silence not talking to anyone sometimes praying sometimes just walking so just being in nature just um, allowing my spirit to be open in a way that wasn't dependent on me doing something
0: yes it is so difficult to to. I mean, I I assume for humans, it's just a difficult thing because of the world we live in. Um, but I think in our culture, we're busy and always being on and being productive is celebrated. It's kind of become hardwired into us. There was I was shortly out of college, and uh, it was my first uh, effort towards uh, kind of really stepping back and 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 resting and and i went to uh i believe it was a benedictine monastery mm. um and they had some cottages just was able to rent that and then did that for 3 days and uh and that was the hardest the hard one of the hardest things i've i've done and i've c- continued to go back uh to that and and build that practice but it's just a totally foreign concept uh to me at that time and it just it really was uh good but really really a challenging challenging thing
1: it tends silence and solitude tends to expose those parts of your psyche your soul um that are addicted let's just let's just use that word, a word for it. Addicted, um th- they're addicted to some way of making you comfortable some way of making, of, 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 of helping you to kill pain in your life that you didn't even necessarily know was, was there. Um, avoid, you know, avoidance. Um, and when you make a decision to enter into complete silence and to remove the distractions from your life, the phone, the people, you know, um, the, the screens, you know, <laughs> just get the screens out of the way and, and you lose those distractions. Um, you're, going to, you're going to experience a period of discomfort. It's like starting a fast, if you've ever fasted. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to do more of that than, than, than I do now. Um, but you have to enter into that. You, you have to kind of go through that period where the body just sort of says, what is going on here? Right? And, and I think in the same way in silence and solitude, the soul goes through that as well because it's so used to all of this stimulation. And the problem is a lot of that stimulation is, is, again, as I said before, dependent on our own discursive reflection, what we can bring to the text, what we can bring intellectually to God, to prayer, to to um, in, engaging with God. And in silence and solitude and, 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 and laying those things aside for a period of time, um, you are forced in a way to just be, right? Mm. And... Uh, you, you, you will have a reaction. You'll probably have some kind of a visceral reaction to that, just like your body does to a fast. Um, or, you know, you can probably think of other situations where you felt that way. And you've got to push through that. You've got to. And so, of course, you know, Jesus is the exemplar in this. I mean, his, his entire ministry starts with this sort of being thrust out into a context where he is stripped of everything right? And he even voluntarily sort of strips himself of his power, right? So when the body is crying out and the soul is crying out, whether it's for food or companionship or whatever, he has to sort of push through and say, no, I'm not going to use my power, you know, to, to satisfy my needs here. I'm going to see what God wants to do in this situation. And of course, we see that out of that, he comes through with a greater power, with a greater empowerment for what he's called to do. But he has to because he's in human form, he's, he's incarnated, he's in flesh. He has to go through that as well. And he's, he's, I think he's our prime example for for that kind of.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you would uh, just thinking about that silence and that prayer and and just kind of that, I can sense, you know, that such an important thing and it has been in my life Um, for, you know, I guess someone that hasn't maybe ventured into that area or what, what would be kind of if you would kind of just define you know what are what are some ways that that can be done just um let's go to the practical and we can kind of maybe zoom back back out a little bit but just what are when we talk about silence what has that kind of been in your life or those that you've uh directed and things like that what is yeah. what is that silence that prayer what does that kind of look like yeah in, well in, i
1: think you know like everything if we can have a gentle introduction that to that, that's very helpful for me. I began going to a spiritual director, um, and I specifically a, a spiritual director who was practicing a contemplative spiritual direction. Right, in, in that sense, what we mean is it's not highly directive. It's not it's not spiritual direction. Um, is in, in, the, in, in some of the traditional Christian sense, like in the Orthodox sense, or even sometimes in the Catholic sense within religious orders and so forth, it's, it's intended to be very directive, right? Um, uh, some people might be familiar with the Ignatian spiritual exercises and so forth. And it's, it's taking you in a specific direction about your vocation, about your way of being in the world. But it begins with a very contemplative sort of stance in terms of how you engage Christ. Right and again, not engaging from the so much the uh, uh, maybe the ways that we've been accustomed to doing that, but entering into times of silence into the, the whole. The whole, if you do the full Ignatian retreat, it's 30 days of disengaging from the world and working with the spiritual director, kind of taking you through the Gospels and the life of Christ and going away for just periods of silence to begin reflecting on Scripture, but then to open your heart and your imagination to what the Spirit wants to show you and, and reveal to you about these things. But in that context, you're always encouraged to find times of silence and times when you're not actively engaging the mind, but just being open, Mm -hmm. staying open to what does God want to do? And the longer you stay in that space, um, I think you're sort of giving the Holy Spirit a chance to sort of elbow in there. So for me, it began with the spiritual director just saying, after talking for five or 10 minutes saying, okay, well, what would it be like now if we just took two or three minutes of silence and just held everything that's been said up to this point? Well, I didn't even know what that meant much less necessarily what the purpose of it was or but at the very least what it helped me to do was it was to get out of my habituated practice of conceiving prayer as words right so after listening to me for a few minutes my director didn't say well okay we're going to pray about that now i want you to pray and then i'm going to pray or i'm going to read scripture, scripture whatever we would do that at times But to take everything that had been said or reflected on or any scripture that might have been shared or whatever experience and just say, together, let's just hold that. And literally, we would put our hands like this together. We would just sit there for two minutes, three minutes, sometimes five minutes. And in that holding, uh, something happened. I think it was God's recognition that this is my way of sort of surrendering. Right? Mm -hmm. This is my way. This is sort of my... Kinotic moment or, or a moment of kenosis, which is that word that is used of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, where it says he emptied himself, right? Mm-hmm. He had plenty of power, plenty of deity. He could do what he wanted to do. And, and uh, you know, it says in that passage, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. But he just sort of surrenders, right? And just gives it up. And so, what I discovered in that time of silence was. I, whatever I'd been talking about or praying about, we were just giving it up. You're just holding it before God. And um, uh, it, it just became transformational as an act of surrender. And a lot of times all those things that you're praying about, suddenly they, they, they weren't all that important necessarily anymore, or having the answer that you thought you needed wasn't so important. It was holding it before God and sensing God's presence that that God was with us in that room with me and the director. And actually the three of us were holding this together and sometimes even handing this over in a sense that Christ was, was taking this down and he didn't have to worry about it anymore. And of course, you know, that's how Jesus closes his whole introduction to what I think is contemplative prayer about going to a secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you for what is done in secret. And Jesus ends that passage in Matthew six saying, Your father, don't be like the idolaters who just babble on and on and on. Your father in heaven knows what you need even before you ask him. Mm. So I think we just need a gentle introduction. I I don't think it's wise for most people to say, you know, to your spouse and to your family or to your boss. Well, I'm going out in the wilderness for three days. I'm leaving for three days. Don't call me. Don't, you know, I can't talk on the phone. I'll see you later. (laughs) Kids, you know, your kids, I'm going into the woods for three days. Well, some people that you might be able to do that, that might work. Yeah. But that can be actually traumatic for some people, especially if you have if you have any kind of PTSD in your life from you know emotional wounds or abuse or anything like that. I mean, it's it's not a good way to start. I mm-hmm. think you need to start with some guidance. And that's what spiritual director is about. Spiritual guidance is about. Someone who's walked over this terrain, this landscape, they can point out over the landscape and say, Well, here's where we are now, or let's look at your journey. Where have you been? Where are you? Maybe you want to go here now, maybe you want to step back and take a rest from that. maybe you want to you know you know have a guide
0: you know yeah. if you
1: go away for a few days, you want to have a guide i think someone with you to to, to direct you at least
0: absolutely part. it's you can you can try to use the map, but if you aren't sure of the journey, there's uh having a guide that actually says, "I've been down this path before we want to we want to take a right and not a left you know that that in the spiritual life that that can be a huge uh, a yeah. huge benefit so if you would yeah tell us a little bit about uh kind of just spiritual direction and a spiritual guide um i believe you do that uh f- for others as part of what what you do and uh um yeah if you would just kind of for those that aren't familiar kind of spiritual direction what is that um yeah
1: well i like? think sometimes you know to 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 say what it's not is is, is helpful especially sure. for for I think um, maybe for people that um, you know maybe they've been in the Christian faith for a while and they think they pretty much know you know what they need to know and it's just a matter of applying it. Well, I, I thought that very much so, but I I didn't. Um, I still had this com- kind of unknown dimension um, to our tradition and spiritual companionship uh, that. That, I mean, I obviously needed to learn about and experience, and that's and, and obviously you can get what you need through many paths, through many people, you know, within the Christian tradition. But I think this is one that, when people discover it, that there is something in our tradition known as a spiritual companion or director, a spiritual mentor, in some you know, in ways. Uh, it's it's quite enlightening. So but what it's not is it's not coaching. Now a lot of people are doing life coaching, that's fine. But that coaching is goal oriented, right? Mm. You you want to get the ball over the line. You've got something you want to accomplish. And usually there's an obstacle in your way, right? There's you're on offense and there's some defense there trying to stop you from doing what you're wanting to do. Maybe some internal resistance Things that a life coach or someone can help you to um, sort of figure out, lay down, get over whatever it is, and they may even be a spiritual kind of coach, and they can they can help you in some ways, even with your prayer and so forth. Different people approach it in different ways, but I really see coaching as more goal-driven, and then there's counseling. Um, A lot of times, counselors, good counselors, will have some spiritual; there'll be spiritual guidance obviously in in, in what they do, but usually counseling is problem-driven. a person comes to a counselor because they've got a problem and they need help solving this. Right. So we need solutions. We need, we need, we may need uh, CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. We may need, um, you know, a a support group because we're wrestling with addiction or whatever, but it's, it's, it's very problem driven. Mm -hmm. You know, mentoring is getting a little bit closer in one way, but I see I've done a lot of mentoring. I think mentoring is really skills driven, right? You're, you're older, you're apprenticing someone, you're passing on certain skills. And so there's, There's a way in which that could apply to to spiritual direction because you may be giving some some skills in some ways. But I still think spiritual guidance is different in that, although it may have elements of all those things, it is prayer-driven. And I think that's a very important distinction, right? Whereas mentoring may be skills-driven, coaching may be goal-driven, counseling may be problem-driven. If spiritual direction is not prayer driven. It, it really just sort of dribbles out into a, a quasi therapeutic uh, mentoring kind of thing. And, and it can be good, but my sense is that it, it really doesn't tend to last long and, and turn into something that lasts months and years, which for me, I've, I've had spiritual directors, different ones, but some I've worked with years at a time. And, um, it's not just about, oh, you helped me solve my problem. Thank you. I'm done with my therapy after these six months or a year or whatever. I'm moving on. I'll call you if I need you again kind of thing. Or you help my coach help me, you know, accomplish this goal. Okay, thank you. I'm moving on. But um, when, it's, when it's something that is prayer-driven, this is prayer-driven, this is something you're doing hopefully on a daily basis. This is something you're trying to figure out, how do I pray about this? Um, what happens when I pray about this? Why does God seem so absent? in this situation. Hmm. Um, Why do none of my prayers seem to be getting answered right now? What is this thing that I've heard about the dark night of the soul? Is that what I'm going through right now? What does that even mean? I really think those are questions that are for spiritual guidance. Now, I think we need to be clear here that a pastor can be a spiritual guide. A priest can be a spiritual guide, a monk, you know, I mean, there are in all the faith traditions, there are people that provide spiritual, spiritual guidance. Um, but they generally have lots of other responsibilities and other things that they're doing and trying to accomplish that, that don't necessarily allow them to give a lot of dedicated time to that. In my personal experience, some of the best spiritual directors also have a counseling background, not all of them, not always. And it's not required. Um, But in my experience, I train spiritual directors now. In my experience, what I see, some of the people that I see, most hungry and coming to be trained as spiritual directors are down the road in their ministry as pastor, priest, therapist, sometimes medical doctor, helping professions. But they're wanting to deepen their own relationship with God. And, and through spiritual companionship, they have, they've had someone to help them do that. And now they're wanting to be trained in that to make that a dimension of their caregiving, whatever it might be. And then there are people like me for a, a few years, I simply was a spiritual director uh, for the most part. I mean, now I'm I'm, I'm providing spiritual direction as the, the the spiritual life officer in a graduate business school here at Pepperdine University. And um, I'm, I'm doing lots of different things in small groups and individuals, but I'm not strictly doing one-on-one spiritual direction or group spiritual direction with, with people. So now I've sort of massaged that into a bigger picture of what I do. And so There are a lot of people out there you can find doing that. But then there are people that are, especially in the Catholic tradition, you might find this, some in, you know, uh, other traditions, you'll find people dedicated to this ministry. Hmm. And um, if you can find someone like that to bring into your life, to basically help you with your communication with God, right? Help you process your experience of God or the absence of the experience of God and really talk about that in ways that, You might not talk with anyone else about because you don't have another confidential relationship with someone that you don't want them to know that, you know what, you can't even feel God right now. You're not even sure God is out there anymore. Right. Or like, you know, Jesus' own experience on the cross of feeling forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, we have a hard time saying that or admitting that. We especially don't want to do that to maybe some of the people that think we're spiritual giants or spiritually mature or whatever. But it's actually a sign of maturity that you get to that place and you realize, I need this. I need to humble myself and do this.
0: I I think you just talking about that takes me back to where you said, you know, as part of, the prayer, the silence allows you to surrender that control that you want over your own life. That surrender um, is so important. At least I find in my own life, and how um, that's when I focus on the prayer. That's taking it to God. It's taking it to God. It's taking it to God. As opposed to I'm trying to figure out my problem, and uh, and to have someone guiding you towards that. I have you know some some great. Um, Uh, brothers in christ that you know use accountability and just kind of sharpening each other and that's great but um you know it sounds like part of the part of the benefit is really just others that are further down down the road that have um just shared uh so many more experiences and they can kind of look back and say Yeah, this is exactly and to do that and do that under submission of of prayer and and in Christ. Yeah,
1: exactly. And the beautiful thing too is to was for me, because I love history and the history of the church, is to be able to go back in the Christian tradition and find this, even in very, very dark times in the church, in the Middle Ages, and in in times where, you know, the church of the day was very just (laughs) unspiritual and you know. And, and, and people doing things in the name of God, whether they were religious wars or popes or whoever that just were you know, completely mystifying as what this had to do with Christ. But to go back, for me specifically in my life, uh, you know, I was drawn back to reflect on the, the readings of St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila and so forth. And John of the Cross wrote uh, a, a book called the Flame, of, uh, the Flame of Love. I think it was called The Living Flame of Love. That's what it was. And he talks a lot about humility, and he had lots of he had spiritual directors who didn't help him, who weren't very good. And um, he talks about how to find a good spiritual director and what is a good director. And again, sometimes you have you know that by seeing what not to do. And I love this little passage here. it's okay, if I read this from, Absolutely, from go uh, on. Uh, um, Living Flame of Love, he talks about directors that are are. They're, they're, they don't really necessarily know what they're doing. He says, he says they're directors that don't know what spirit is, right? And so I think that's so important because spiritual direction is a spiritual ministry. It's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the spiritual director is simply companioning you and as you are following the Holy Spirit, right? But they can do great injury to God and show disrespect toward him by intruding with a rough hand where God is working. Yet these spiritual directors do not want the soul to rest and remain quiet, but want it always to labor and work so that consequently it does not allow room for God's work and through its own activity ruins and effaces what he is doing. Now, there are people that are, they're not spiritual directors, but they're in positions where they're providing spiritual guidance, whether they're priests, pastors, you know, teachers, professors, whoever they might be, parents or whatever, that they're giving us guidance all the time. And, and. They, they may not be doing it in the most helpful helpful ways, you know, and, and may need to have their own horizons and humility expanded to a, a greater openness to what God might be doing in a particular life. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, not everyone knows all the happenings and stages of the spiritual journey, right? Nor is everyone so perfect as to know every state of the interior life in which a person must be conducted and guided. At least directors should not think that they have all the requirements or that God will not want to lead the soul further on. And that's the other problem. People can't lead someone further than they've been or deeper than they've been. That doesn't mean that they're not good at what they do. It doesn't mean they're not, you know, they don't have a good life or you know, living a good Christian life, whatever that might be. But everyone is at a certain point in their journey, right? Yes. So not everyone is capable, he says, this metaphor is, not everyone is capable of hewing the wood. Uh, or not everyone capable of hewing the wood knows how to carve the statue. And I think that's a beautiful metaphor. Because we can chop at the wood. We can do, you know, we can, we can we can, work on it. We can produce something out of a tree or out of a piece of wood that may be attractive or whatever. But, you know, getting that Mona Lisa, getting that that David, getting that, you know, out of that rock or that piece of wood, uh, this beautiful piece of art or life is, a, is, is another level or depth of understanding. Nor does everyone able to carve know how to perfect and polish the work, nor do all who know how to polish it know how to paint it, nor do all who know how to paint it know how to put the finishing touches on it and bring the work to completion. So in other words, really only God knows that, only the Spirit knows that. And a spiritual mm-hmm. companion has to, director has to be really humble in the sense that they're simply on this journey with this person, listening deeply this, this person listening, this person's life and prayer into speech, uh, and, and deeper into communication with God. Um, I think I back just, to I think, that
0: metaphor. I, I do too. I, I think back to where you said, you said, you know, one of your first experiences was, uh, holding your hands out and just pausing and thinking or your spiritual director, you know, didn't say let's break it down and, you know, let's, let's really understand, Uh, you know, you just, let's hold it and let's just let God kind of work. The the humility that allows the spirit to do its work rather than kind of running through thinking, Oh, we got, I have the answer. I know what I need to do to fix this guy or whatever it is. Because Uh, we
1: do have answers, right? I mean,
0: We have a lot of answers, but
1: that doesn't mean that's the right answer in this situation or for this person. This is a unique soul that God is working with in a very, and, and it's in this person's own unique way, you know,
0: Hmm. All right. So Dr. Woodcock, um, as we, you know, we talked about, you know, some of the qualities that a spiritual director would have and some of those, some of those things, um, what practically speaking, you know, where could someone find a, a good spiritual director that would kind of go on the journey with them? Is there any, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Um, you, you have a couple of options just in terms of online searches. I mean, uh, there's an organization called Grafted Life. I think the the website here is graftedlife.org. Okay,
0: um, I'll link to that uh, in the show notes for everybody. Yeah,
1: graftedlife.org. They actually have, I believe, they have a directory now of uh, spiritual directors. The uh, the program that we that I'm on faculty with with training spiritual directors, HCM International. A program called Spiritual Formation in the Art of spiritual direction where it 's a two year program where we 're helping people to deepen their own spiritual life, their own walk with God as while they 're being trained so it 's a very contemplative approach to spiritual direction which incorporates and emphasizes your own contemplative meditative, prayerful way of being with god and you that 's sort of the experiential part, and then we do the equipping part as a part of that, and I think that that 's really critical. So for people that are wanting to be trained in spiritual direction, they have some experience with spiritual direction, working with a spiritual director. Um, I think our program is is doing a great job. There are many springing up around the country. You can can find them. Um, SDI.world is Spiritual Directors International. Um, they, They have seek and find guides where you can find spiritual directors. What I would recommend is that you call two or three and you interview them. Or if you can visit them, you have one session with them and just kind of interview them and they interview you and you figure out if it's a good fit, right? Um, because there's spiritual directors all over the map from all kinds of religious and spiritual traditions. And um, so you need to find someone who's a, who's a good fit with you. And spiritual directors are very open to, you know, to, to doing that and exploring that, that fit with you.
0: That was great. I, I really appreciate that. I'll link all of that in the show notes um, mm-hmm. in the description for for everyone to to kind of yeah. uh, dive into people, that further. That
1: come up more and say, the, say uh, Episcopal tradition or Catholic tradition, Orthodox, or even some sometimes in you know, the Methodist tradition. You can go to your church, to your your denomination, your pastor, and they they can probably help you with this because they have some sense of that that that, that this tradition. You know.
0: Absolutely, yeah that that's a great that's a great as well. You know, going talking with your 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 pastor and, and helping them to kind of help you find that that person. And, and you know, your
1: your you pastor that. may be a wonderful spiritual guide, and they have time to do this because they're not also CEO pastor or you know it's executive pastor or whatever. And there may yeah. be some staff that's trained to do this kind of thing. And a lot of, a lot of churches are really beginning to emphasize spiritual formation. Sometimes that's very do-do-do oriented, like doing stuff and learning stuff and so forth. But there are people within even those movements that they, they get this, and they have spiritual directors, and they can provide it from within the church as well.
0: I think what I like so much about what you're emphasizing with the contemplative and the uh, just kind of that surrender is, like you said, the do-do-do, that is what our culture is all about. That's kind of what we're trained in uh, by the culture that we grow up in and that is that is not uh that's not the way to dive in i you've talked about um some different stages of spiritual formation and um that i've i've heard you talk about and kind of that uh descent and kind of uh diving into that and uh you know that's it's it's not there's certainly practices but it's not do 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 uh as and it's such a challenge uh to kind of get out of that mindset so i i really Uh, very much appreciate um that focus Uh, we've talked a little bit about you know the practical um would would you share with us a little bit you know what you've talked about the scripture and where jesus has uh kind of shared some of this but if if you would are there any passages that we could go to or uh, things to just kind of see where he talks about this contemplative contemplative uh prayer and practice
1: Yeah, I think, although we may not go to this passage thinking about meditation or contemplation, um, I I think it's very clear, it's very obvious here in chapter 6 of Matthew, um, where Jesus is talking about fasting, he's talking about prayer, giving. And generally where our mind tends to go to is when he actually does give the disciples a particular prayer when they ask for it, right? (laughs) And it's, of course, it's the the Lord's Prayer. But I think it's really instructive to read what Jesus says about prayer before he does give this very simple, brief, one way of of, of praying, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So Jesus is saying, uh, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites or the play actors because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. He says, I assure you they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your uh, secret room or private room and close the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Notice how often this word secret pops up, how often this word reward pops up. Uh, Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So something very interesting here, Jesus, in terms of the spiritual life, Jesus is addressing three things, how you give, how you fast, and sandwiched in between those two is the crux, I think, how you pray. Right. In all three of those, he says, do it in secret. And all three of those he says there's two kinds of rewards. There's a reward you get by being sort of active and out there and everybody seeing it and doing it, doing your ministry thing. There's a certain reward. The Greek word there is miston or mistos, which means salary. You work, you get paid for it. And then he says there's this other kind of way of being with God, it's secret, it's hidden. The word is krypto in Greek. It's where we get the word for crypt, which means, you know, a hidden kind of underground sort of thing. That's And, and Jesus says when you go in secret, when you close your door, you go into your, your special place, your secret place, he says there's a different reward for that person. And that's actually a different Greek word, "apodidomi," um, which means it's it's God giving out of... It, it's it's a reward that's given out of um, uh, hold on one second let me go back and bring this up uh, this word apodizumi
0: and as you're, as you're looking that up uh, yeah. what from the passage it, it seems like uh, do you get the sense you know it's a it's a greater reward you know you have the salary well, it's a it's, it's a great it's a one-to-one but that that those things done in in secret those things that are between you and god that no one else knows yeah it,
1: but um, it's different in that it's it's not a reward that is based on what you do it's a different kind of um it's it's more of it's more of a giving out of um uh yeah, I can't can't get it up here right now, but it's it's not like a salary. It's not like you did this, you get paid for it. Misson. It's it's it has something to do with giving out of a um, giving because the person wants to give this reward, shall we say? And it's and you know these you don't want to make too much out of this, but in all three times and and when it comes to fasting, praying, giving, Jesus mentions a reward that you get when you do it this way. It's one word, like a salary, and then this other word. That's it's not about getting paid for what you do, you know, so much. It's, so, hmm. um, I think there's 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 something there to, to to pay attention to. I think the bigger thing, though, is that we're being called to do something in secret here. Uh, it's very interesting that when Jesus says go into your secret place, or he says go into your 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 room and close the door, that doesn't just mean any room. The word that's used there in the original refers to the room in the house where you stored the most precious, valuable commodities, gold, silver, wine, oil, anything. And in a wealthy household, the chief steward only had the key to that room and had control over that. In other words, all the treasures of the household were there. And Jesus is saying, go to that place. And and oftentimes it would be secret. It would be hidden. But it wouldn't be a lot of people coming through there, right? You're probably going to be the only one there. But also, you know, Jesus goes on to say a few verses later, where your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So it's like he's saying, go into this place where your treasures are. right? Mm-hmm. Make that the place of your heart. Make this your treasure room, this secret place with God. And God, who is in the secret, Will, will reveal in secret. Of course, the Apostle Paul goes on to make some very interesting analogies about the, the Christian life the, the, the being a hidden life. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ is revealed, you too will be revealed with him. In order to be revealed, it's got to be covered up for a while. There's got to be something happening in that darkness, in that secret place, in that, in that place where only, you know, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it, it doesn't bear fruit. There's this place, there's this place of hiddenness, secretness, it, 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 that becomes a precious treasure place for you in which God does things that have nothing to do with you saying words or being public or doing ministry. or And of course, Jesus is the exemplar of this, as we said before, in terms of drawing away from ministry saying to his disciples look if you don't come apart you're going to come apart right so let's get out of here for a while let's you know let's go find a secret place that sort of thing
0: i think there's so many times in in the gospels where you know it's jesus on the he's really hitting his stride with some great ministry great results he's got thousands showing up at his preaching you know you would think you know our day and age and say, okay, let's capitalize on that. Let's add something else to it. Let's keep the, uh, keep it going. And immediately after something like that, he says, no, let's, let's get away. Just like you're saying, let's, let's go. And, uh, it's just, so it's so counter to what my, what I would think of getting the success. I'm just going to push harder. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to dive in. And, uh, and he, he gets away and, 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 and praise and, and, and rests. Uh, as, as, um, as we kind of talk about all of, all of these, you know, f- moving towards, uh, really, uh, uh, prayer and, and the silence and, and using, um, a spiritual guide to kind of, what, what are some of the things you, you mentioned, um, a little bit about finding this and, and having really pushed hard in, in ministry and life, and then finding, um, some of these, some of these practices, I just if you could kind of share with yourself or others you know what kind of what have been some of the results that have come from that practice over the course of years and what, what have you noticed in yourself in your life
1: well I would say one of the probably the most obvious results was that I just didn't give up on the Christian faith I didn't give up on God I did at some very painful times in my life um, some real crisis uh, and, and family and death and um, uh, and just seeing, seeing, seeing a lot of traumatic things, uh, uh, working with refugees uh, in, in Albania and um, um, uh, hearing, hearing horror stories. Um, uh, not long ago, I was in northern Iraq in Kurdistan, and we were working with the Yazidi people that were brutalized by ISIS. Um, you know, we were, we were six, six miles or less from the front line where, the Kurdish forces were were fighting uh, were fighting ISIS outside of Mosul, and um, uh, just um, you know realizing, and then my own sort of issues from my own childhood and trauma, and having three different dads growing up, and um, and 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 just realizing there is a cumulative effect in our lives to things that we see and that we experience, and that. Um, there, there is, there is healing that is that is needed around these experiences and these things that our body, soul, mind, amygdala—we actually know holds can we actually hold these things—and that they need to be processed. And prayer is an amazing, wonderful way to process that. But it's prayer that's got to go deeper than um, simply petitionary kinds of prayer. Um, it, it's prayer that doesn't just take us higher and higher and higher and closer to God it, it, through these experiences. I think the spirit at some point calls us deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we, we are called to actually make an, a descent into ourself. What we want is an ascent, right? I was visiting a local Greek Orthodox church here in LA yesterday with a friend and, um, because uh, I lived in Greece for 15 years. I love to go to the church periodically and hear the liturgy. They kind of do part of it in Greek here in American and part of it in English. Mm. I, love, I love the iconography and all that. It's absolutely uh, uh, amazing. So within, within the Greek Orthodox tradition, one of their, uh, the second most read book after the Bible, amongst many, many Christians, is St. John Climacus' book, Called the ladder I think it's called the ladder of ascent right and it's about it's it's 30 ways to it's 30 rungs on the ladder of how to ascend and higher and higher in the spiritual life right and each, each each rung corresponds to one of the years of Christ's life 30 years before he started his ministry and I think we get that concept and he builds on the idea of Joseph and the angels you know his dream and seeing the angels and the ladder to heaven and that sort of thing but at some point, that ascent in order to go higher we have to go deeper right it's like building a building you've got to go deep to build that foundation if you want to go higher and higher and higher and so i think we what happens is through after a certain amount of experience and years and pain and trauma and disappointment and whatever um you have to the whole, the spirit is going to take you deeper into yourself and do deeper works of regeneration deeper works of healing right um and that oftentimes requires us to go back into experiences that we've had. And there we really, it's important to have a very good spiritual companion, maybe a, a, a spiritual therapist or Christian therapist. I like something that I do that, that I, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I do therapy and do for what we call formational prayer and counseling and, and, and healing work. Um, I, I like a term that James Finney uses, contemplative therapy. I love that because he's, he's a spiritual director, but he's also a licensed therapist, but really the, he, it's much more of a spiritual emphasis in, in, in what he does. And um, because we've got to pay attention to these spiritual dimensions because they're so deeply connected, these issues of the psyche to, the, to our soul and the burdens of the soul and the brokenness of the soul and the mind and so forth. And so we have to be able to kind of go into those deeper places within us in a contemplative sort of way, a prayerful way, a safe way. And meet God in those broken places, right? So, again, Jesus is the exemplar. This is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He went into the the depths of brokenness, right? He went into the depths of, of human brokenness through his own incarnation, through his own disappointments and feeling left alone by God and so forth. And he went and he showed us this is part of the path. If you're going to be human, this is going to be part of the path. And though God, he, he shows us that in the most stark, amazing, beautiful way. And this is one what I think maybe the most amazing thing about the incarnation is that God condescends to, to, to do this. And we get to look at the God man, which by the way, is the most oft used title for Christ in the gospels, son of man, not son of God. Yes. Son of God, but son of man, because this is what, Christ is showing us through this through this hope. And so on the cross, we see he goes through the cross. He doesn't go around it. He doesn't go over it. He goes through it. So we are going to have to do that as well. Right? Yeah, he
0: he enters into that, um, into our world. He, there's right. so many other ways I'd imagine as God, he could have done it, you know, could have pulled off this redemptive story that he's done for us. And yet he chose to enter into the pain and enter into the world for and experience it and then conquer it. Right. And uh, that's just a beautiful thing. I, I love that uh, analogy to our own uh, life and how, yeah. you know, for us, we, a strong he foundation. Had
1: enter, he had to enter into his own brokenness, the way in which he was being broken and sacrificed. Mm-hmm. If we're going to grow to the next stage of our growth, if we're going to climb the ladder, whatever, you, whatever your spiritual metaphor is, we're going to have to go deeper. And as we go deeper, we're going to encounter part of ourselves that are unhealed, that need help, that have been abandoned, at the very least where we have extreme disappointment, dreams that did not come to pass, disappointments that set us back. And usually that's connected to, usually there's a work of forgiveness that is required there somewhere, right? Mm. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, that we can move on, move past that, go deeper with God and so forth. We will have to engage our our own brokenness at some level. But looking at Christ, we know it's possible. It's possible, and with a companion to guide us on the way, the right kind of companion, it becomes a healing journey, uh, an amazing journey, um, and it what it usually does is it it sets us up for the next place of ministry that God has for us, right?
0: Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's I just that. The, those practices and the setting those up, just knowing that, um, you know, that that's kind of the, the framework with which we can grow, like you said, descend and, and really, uh, understand ourselves, but understand, I th- think of understanding who God is and, and, and resting in that, uh, as, as we do that, and it comes, it's just a, what a int- neat practice. and what an important thing. Um, Dr. Woodcock, what as you know, there, there's a there's a lot here, and we've you mentioned a few resources. Are there any uh, for those that are considering you know um, diving into contemplative prayer, spiritual direction? What what are some of your favorite resources? Anything that comes to mind?
1: Yes, um, you know, in addition to finding a spiritual director that um, that that you can work with. Um, that's if that's how you're feeling led that's that's what you want to do i think that's really a a, a wonderful thing to do for some people that's not possible either location or they're not for whatever reason they're just not going to do that but i think one of the the best simplest introductions to a more reflective prayer life um And a way of moving towards this this place of being more contemplative in God's presence is this little book by uh, Jim Manny called A Simple Life-Changing Prayer. Mm. And this is a very, very uh, helpful, simple, short uh, introduction to um, the Prayer of Examen, which uh, Ignatius of Loyola, who I referred to a few minutes ago, um, uh, introduced And uh, it it just gets you into a reflective posture about what you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis, right? And I think what's important sometimes is we need to, because we're so habituated to certain ways of praying and doing things, doing our faith, doing our Christianity, because we're so habituated, also we get kind of addicted or attached to certain authors, certain speakers, and, um, uh, I think it's good to break out of that periodically. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, they're, they're wonderful. We all, we all, we all have them. We all gravitate towards certain people at certain times in our life. Um, sometimes we just need to really step away from, uh, what we've been doing habitually though for a while, whether it's in prayer or the way we're reading scripture or, um, you know. So, you know, it's like I said. I was in the Orthodox Church last week. Well, you know, and the week before that, I was in the Episcopal Church. And sometimes this is connected to my work and the people I'm with and so forth. Um, but it really has opened up my horizons. It, it, it really has. And um, reading some of these early Christian mystics, um, desert mothers and fathers, and then and, and then in, into the, as I said, 13, 14, 15th century, some of those writers as well. But out of this Ignatian tradition in the 16th century. Uh, came this very simple, basic kind of way of reflecting on your day-to-day experience, finding God in your day-to-day experience. I have found as a spiritual director working with people who've come to me and saying, I can't feel God, I can't find God, I don't know what's happening, I'm, ha- I'm having a dark night of the soul, I've been a Christian or I've been, you know, what, for 30 years, I don't know what's going on here, that helping them to simply become more reflective on their experience and where God might be in that even where it seems that God is absent, can be very helpful, very renewing, and can begin to create some space within which to hold their experience um, and see their experience in in ways that they just haven't seen before. You know, Jesus was very clear with his disciples. He he said, look, you're you're just not seeing things clearly here at times. He says, you have eyes to see, but you don't see. You have ears to hear, but you don't hear. We all get a little bit deaf and blind Uh, at times along our journey because of experiences we've had, because, again, because of disappointments, or, or, or it may just be this is the stage that you're at in your spiritual journey. Just like Jesus came to that stage in his spiritual journey where he had to go to Jerusalem. He had to go through the cross, to the cross. This had to become a part of his experience. He had, at the beginning of his ministry, he had to go into the desert.
0: I think that that suffering, you know, so often in our life is while it's painful, it allows us to grow and go deeper. Like you said, you know, there's a a documentary, I I believe it's called a year in Burgundy and it's all about kind of take, um, goes through a a year of, um, growers in Burgundy, France, growing grapes and in their vineyards. And one of the most interesting quotes is where, uh, the, they, they won't irrigate. Uh, many of them won't irrigate their vineyards. So in a particularly dry season, uh, one of the growers, uh, owners of the vineyard said they have to suffer. The vines have to suffer. If they don't suffer, if they get irrigated, their roots stay shallow. But if they have to suffer a little bit, their roots shoot down deep into the soil so that in future years, how much more um, uh, deeply that they're they're grounded and they're able to amazing? to withstand it, and so just it's, to me it was such a neat um you know amazing? analogy for suffering and for our life and and how that that's that's exactly what we, we yeah have to go see, what,
1: what we try what we try to do is we try to organize our lives in such a way as to strenuously avoid that,
0: i think especially in the west yeah that's it's a especially. obsession.
1: Yeah, especially in the West, but now because of globalization and and because we're lifting so many out of poverty and 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 that um, uh, that 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 that's it's not just in the West anymore. You know what I mean? That's yeah. but, but it's been it has been sort of an, an, uh, a product of uh, even of our spirituality. Um, but you like those vines, you won't grow, you won't develop the fruit, right? the sweetness of that fruit, yeah, it, without that, that uh, stress, if you will. And so we we have to have a certain kind of, we shouldn't be overstressed, I mean, but we do have to have a certain amount of stress in our life if we're going to grow, if we're going to reach towards something, reach beyond what we know right now. And that's, again, how oftentimes God is using these experiences in our lives, and, and, you know, there's a lot of bad theology that would say, oh, well, there's something wrong with you when that's happening. No. I think that's the call of God. Oftentimes you may, you may have been d- done something stupid that, you know, has, has brought this disappointment or, or, or whatever. But, um, a lot of the time it's simply, this is part of the growth process. Right? Mm. This is the fruit that this is about, about getting the fruit that lasts that Jesus talks
0: about. Absolutely. That's so, um, so true. Um, well, uh, Dr. Woodcock, as, as we kind of wrap up, is there any, any final thoughts as you kind of think as we, want to share with people consider the contemplative prayer and contemplative contemplative life?
1: Yeah, I really think that the most important thing is to simply, if you can do nothing else, carve out five minutes, maybe 10 minutes um, at the end of each day or at the beginning of the day, looking back on the previous day where you take 10 minutes or so and you simply reflect back on what happened. For what moment yesterday am I most grateful? And just wait in silence and, and, and kind of replay the day in your mind and just notice simple things that were, wow, that was, I'm really thankful about that. That, that was kind of a big deal, right? And then to, to hold the inverse. For what moment yesterday was I least grateful? And then to notice as you reflect on this, oh, wow. You know, that's been happening every day this week. I'm really sick of that. I don't want that anymore. And so, what that at least does is that kind of reflection on your experience. That gives you something to pray about. All right. So, that can become prayer in and of itself. But now you know, you know what I'm going to pray about? I'm going to pray, God, please. I want more of those experiences and I want less of these. What do I need to do today? What do I need to change? What do I need to give up? What do I need to forgive? What? And you kind of move through that, the questions like that. You might use the question of gratitude is important, love. For what moment today, when today did I experience the most love? And then you just hold that and replay the, the day in your mind and notice, wow, that, those two minutes with that person, when we shared that way, I felt so loved. I felt so cared for. I, wanted, I want more of that, right? And so your prayer becomes, okay, Lord, how, are, how do I get more of that? And you're active. You're engaged, right? The inverse is also just as important. Where did I give and receive the least love today? Right? Very powerful, simple practice that can get you praying about your experience and bringing it before God that can actually be life-changing, I think. A simple life-changing prayer, as Manny says it, because you actually are noticing what you're experiencing and not just move, moving from experience to experience from day to day, from, to, you know, ministry to ministry or whatever. What you begin to notice in that is if you do it long enough, is this is what I'm called to. Why am I spending all this time doing this stuff for which I'm not giving and receiving love. I'm not grateful. I don't feel a sense of belonging. I don't feel alive and so forth. And those are the other questions that you can use. When did I feel the most alive today? When did I feel least alive? When did I have the greatest sense of belonging to myself, God, and others? When did I have the least sense of belonging to myself, God, and others? So, um, I think those kinds of questions, those actually come from a little book called sleeping with bread. By the lens. I think it's L I N N. We have to Google that. um, Sorry, I don't have that right. Sleeping. It's okay.
0: We'll find it and link to it in the show notes for you.
1: Yeah, I think it's Matthew Lynn, L I N N. Um, But another simple way of being reflective uh, on your life. And then the next thing is after you do that, just find five, 10 minutes of silence. Just sit in silence and just let, you know, don't be disappointed about what happens during that silence just begin to practice it, and just give give everything over to god in that moment that active surrender whatever thoughts are coming to your mind lord i give that to you just let it go and just come back to the place of silence and there's lots of good books and lots of good stuff on contemplative prayer and silence and solitude but you just kind of need to start introducing your yourself to that and uh and let it have its sort of way in your life
0: I, lo- I love the small practices we can do to kind of ease into it and begin that I'd I, I love what you've just shared there with uh, just just being able yeah. to to begin that that practice yeah. well dr Woodcock i so appreciate uh, talking with you today I'm uh, just really thankful that you were able to make it on the show uh, thanks for being with us thank
1: you I enjoyed it Matt
0: well, thank you for taking the time to share in our conversation with Dr. Woodcock, uh, just a, a fount of wisdom and experience that uh, he has and was able to share with us today. If you'd like to find out more about him, uh, you can go to www.integrativeguidance.com. I'll link that and other links that we mentioned in the show notes so that uh, you can dive in deeper. Well, if you're a regular listener to the podcast podcast, uh, please consider leaving a review on iTunes if you're an Apple user. It really is key for us to be able to reach more people uh, with this message and be able to see, be seen and uh, get other great guests on the show. Or if you have a friend who needs to find rest, renewal in their life, share this with them. It just might be the seed they need to make a change in their life. Finally, this episode is brought to you by the Retto Collective Shop, a collection of unique lifestyle goods uh, that my wife and i have designed to bring encouragement truth to your soul you can learn more at the com, or head to ourdailyrest.net slash podcast you'll find a discount for your first order uh, just for being a listener to this show well it's been a pleasure thank you for joining me until next time you just listened to the our daily rest podcast if you're looking to bring daily rest renewal and balance to all areas of your life check out our daily rest.net where we have articles daily prayers and quick start guides to help you on the journey.